0: everyone loves superheroes masked vigilantes who have taken it upon themselves to fight at the front lines on the war on evil many children and adults alike have fantasized about being able to take up a secret identity and fight crime just as their favorite heroes do between the pages of comics and now more and more on the big screen but what happens when the lines of fantasy and reality are blurred and someone actually decides to take justice into their own hands today we're looking at real life vigilantes From everyday people placed in extraordinary situations, to organizations that are formed to protect their communities, to the ones who decided to live out their costumed, comic-inspired fantasies. Let's get weird. What's up, weirdos? It is time to let your mind melt into a glorious puddle of strangeness, as you have found yourself in the Weirdoverse. I'm your host, J.D. Ross, and you are tuned into Weird Wide, your favorite digital cult. Hope everyone had a great holiday season. Uh, it is good to be back. It took a little bit of time off. I uh, got to relax a little bit, hang out with the family, loved it. But here we are. Another year has passed. We're all a little bit older, hopefully a little bit wiser. Hopefully you didn't already fuck up your year. I'm feeling pretty good about 2023, so uh, let's see what absolute madness the universe is planning on throwing at us this year. You know, while we're on the subject of New Year's, uh, why don't we check in with everyone's favorite little disembodied alien, Larry. Larry, how are your New Year's resolutions coming along so far? Well, you know, I've really been wanting to just get back to basics this year, so I've decided that my resolution is going to be more cattle mutilation. Well, I guess there isn't a hardline rule that says you can't use your resolution for bad instead of good. Who said anything about bad? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say mutilating cattle is good. Yeah, this is just another illustration of how you are just an unevolved monkey. Well, maybe enlighten us a little bit then. What, What is it with aliens and cattle mutilation anyway? You just wouldn't get it. Well, that seems like another episode for another day. So without further ado, let's get into today's topic. Today, we're looking into real life examples Vigilante. So I gotta be honest, uh, this topic kind of snuck up on me a little bit. I didn't have the idea in my mind at all. Uh, I was actually kind of not sure what I was gonna do uh, for, you know, for the comeback for uh, 2023. Uh, And I was taking taking all the Christmas stuff down and I'm listening to music, as one does. Well, I happen to be listening to a band called Calabrese. I think they're out of Arizona. Uh, Horror punk band. Fucking awesome. Check them out. Uh, But a song of theirs popped up called I Wanna Be a Vigilante. Which, fucking badass song. But it had me kind of in the moment like, huh, I wonder if there actually have been people, you know, that have, like, taken on a vigilante role and went out to stop crime. As it turns out, that particular rabbit hole ran a lot deeper than I originally expected. Like, we've all had the fantasy, you know, especially in this world where we're constantly inundated by everything superhero on the daily. Uh, We've all imagined how badass it would be to swing across webs in New York uh, or drive around Gotham the Batmobile or even just fucking fly. I mean, how many of us would love to fly? I wish I could fly. To kind of illustrate just how in our own minds the uh, superhero idea is, the superhero movie genre as an industry on its own is worth an estimated $3.19 billion dollars. You know, there's the nostalgia factor for older generations that grew up reading the comics and newer generations connecting, you know, the same way with, the, you know, with their you know, their parents and stuff by meeting these characters on the big screen. So superheroes are definitely in our mind. For most of us though, the fantasy is enough. You know, most of us are just trying to get through the workday and get home. But there's a tiny portion of the population that for one reason or another, who decided not only to embrace the superhero culture, But to actually live out that fantasy in the real world so let's take off the mask and let's dive in and see who these real world superheroes really are so there's a wide variety in the vigilante category you know there's definitely the vigilante versus superhero concepts so we're going to kind of look at both we're going to start with some of the more i'm going to say normal vigilantes and just kind of let it get weirder and weirder as it goes. So we're going to start with a town in Missouri called Skidmore. Now, Skidmore had a problem with a local bully named Ken McElroy. He was born in 1934, and the issue ultimately came to a head in the 1980s. Now, McElroy, he apparently, from what I could tell, went completely beyond being just a local pain in the ass. This dude had an insane amount of criminal accusations of all manner, assault, statutory rape, child molestation arson attempted murder hog and cattle rustling burglary arson and animal cruelty just to name a few in total he was indicted 21 times the problem is he kept getting off he never like nothing stuck to him he was literally this teflon don motherfucker i'm just like totally picturing you because of like the time frame he, like, kind of grew up and, like, the time he went through. I'm really picturing, like, a cartoon villain version of a human. Yeah, Ken's here, see? Yeah, I see you got some cattle. I'm going to take them cattle, see? Well, Ken says go, see. That's what I'm picturing. Now, after years of terrifying the town, time finally came in 1980 where the town had had enough. But he's at a local grocery store owned by a fellow named Ernest Bo Camp. Well, that's clever. You know, it's like and uh, camp. Hey, it's old Bo. It's Bo. You know, that's nice. That's cute. Well, one of McElroy's kids was accused of stealing candy by one of the clerks at the store. And you just know that the kids this guy fucking created. You know, they were little shitheads like, you know, that that was legitimate. And that little fucker was trying to steal candy. Like, I know without a shadow of a doubt that some asshole like McElroy, who is just known to be the town asshole bully, is just raising little hooligans. And they were definitely stealing candy. Well, apparently McElroy took this shit super personally. So after the incident, he began stalking the Bowen Camp family. Now, it all came to a head when McElroy confronted Bowen Camp in the back of his in the back of his store with a fucking shotgun. Now, things tend to escalate when you bring a gun into the situation. And this is no exception. So shit got out of hand and McElroy fucking shot Bow in the neck with the shotgun. Somehow, Bow survived. And McElroy was charged with attempted murder. Now, the town thought their problems were over because, like, you know, this, it finally came to, like, an attempted murder situation. So they thought he was going to be going away for good. Somehow he managed to get off. Like, who the fuck did this guy know? Who the fu- what, what dirt did McElroy have on somebody, like, that was in, in, in positions of power, right? Like, 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 21 times and you get off for attempted murder. Now, instead of attempted murder, he was convicted of assault. And he was out on bail waiting for his appeal. And he immediately, that same day, went down to the local bar with a fucking rifle and a bayonet and began making all kinds of threats on Bo. Like, this dude was a fucking menace. Like, this dude was like, this dude was like Nikki in fucking Casino. Like, the whole, you know, I'm going to come down to your bank and I'm going to bash your fucking skull in. And when I get out of jail, hopefully, you'll be coming out of your coma. Because when you do, I'll bash your fucking head in again. Because I'm fucking stupid. I don't give a fuck about jail. That's who I am. That's my business. Like, that's the vibe I'm getting. He's just a little fucking asshole who's just terrorizing shit. Who the fuck walks into a bar with a fucking rifle and a bayonet? Well, as they say, that was the last straw. On the morning of July 10th, 1981, they were having a town meeting at the local Legion Hall discussing what could be done about McElroy. Uh, the sheriff apparently was less than helpful. Uh, I imagine it was a very heated discussion and he apparently just bullshit his way through all of them. That's probably one of the things like, you know, like he was probably some in some way, shape or form, like weirdly juiced in enough with like the local authorities that, you know, because like the, the sheriff is literally like th- this is a this is a guy who is fucking waving around a fucking rifle with a bayonet threatening to murder the guy that he just got off on attempted murder for like. I don't think the local cops were really any help, they apparently just didn't give a fuck. I mean, that's, that's what I'm seeing here is they just did not give a fuck. Well, not getting the satisfaction they were looking for. They heard that he was drinking down at the local bar. So the town went en masse, arriving just as he was getting in his truck with his wife, Trina. Apparently from what I could tell, they didn't even fucking like do it. Like, like they didn't even like start trying to, trying to talk to him or anything. They just started opening fucking fire on it. Like he's sitting in his truck and this and the town just surrounds the truck and starts fucking blasting into the into the fucking into the truck he was hit at least twice fatally um and that had to feel so good for the town like like this guy has just been like terrorizing you guys for like ever and they just they fucking were like we're done we're done with this shit in total there was 46 witnesses including his wife And he was such a fucking prick, such a fucking terror that no one even called an ambulance. They literally just showed up, straight murdered this motherfucker and left his body dead in the truck. They stuck together too. No one snitched. No one snitched, including his wife. Everyone stayed completely silent on the matter. So the police couldn't pin it on anyone. Even the local district attorney refused to press any charges. And even a federal investigation led to absolutely nothing because no one said a word. The vibe in the town was basically, fuck that guy. Good riddance. So there's an example of vigilantes where the town had basically had enough. Came together and fucking put a stop to the problem. They stopped the problem that the local authorities could not or would not do. Honestly, I'm with them on this one. All right, so now we're going to go down to Mexico. guy named Eduardo Gallo. Maybe Gallo? I'm not sure. I don't speak Spanish. Now, Eduardo owned and operated a consulting firm. Now, at one point, his 25-year-old daughter, Paola, was kidnapped by local gang members. So kidnapping has become one of the more common criminal enterprises in Mexico. Uh, Sometimes they'll just kidnap random people from a taxi or just off the street, go drain their bank accounts and ATM and shit, and then just let them go. Sometimes the crimes are a little bit more sophisticated, and they target specific people and their families in order to collect large ransoms. This is why if you go to like a resort in Mexico, they'll literally tell you not to leave the grounds because there's a chance, the chance of getting sna- snatched is just so high there. Now, Eduardo, uh, you know, he was o- he was over a barrel. He agreed to pay the ransom the kidnappers were demanding, which amounted to about 18500 plus some jewelry. Now, having paid the ransom, Eduardo thought that he'd soon be reunited with his daughter. You know, that's fair. The problem, though, as it seems, is... Mexican cartels and gangs are particularly brutal, Uh, and even though they collected the ransom, they opted to murder Paola instead. Her body was found two weeks after the ransom had been collected with two gunshot wounds, one to the neck and one to the back. Now, local cops did arrest some of the gang members that were responsible, uh, but the one that they uh, were sure that had actually committed the murder got away. From what I can tell in, in situations like this, the police are about as inept as the criminals are brutal. You know, the police didn't really seem to care to them. It's just another kidnapping murder situation. It happens all the time. You know, it's, it's, it's fucking sick with gangs and cartel shit going on down there. It's just it just is It's the way it is. The other problem being there's a lot of corruption going on. You know, the cartels and the gangs have a lot of police police connections. So, you know, it just is what it is. And the cops were kind of like, mm, we're not doing anything. I'm not going to do anything. Eduardo, frustrated with police inaction, decided to take matters into his own hands. He closed his consulting firm and went to work trying to solve the case the police would not. For about a year, Eduardo hunted down leads and he poured over cell phone records and every other bit of intel that he could get his hands on. See, here's something that a lot of people don't consider, like when they think of the superhero fantasy, especially when it comes to like Batman. A lot of people love Batman. But, like, one of the things that separates Batman from the other superheroes, like, what makes him such a capable vigilante is his intelligence. He's considered one of the world's greatest detectives. Eduardo was literally living out that part of the thing, you know, of that part of it. He was literally hunting down every lead that he could get his hands on. Well, the hunt finally paid off, and Eduardo tracked the murderer down. He was smart, though. He didn't try to do it himself. Like, he didn't try to go, like, instead of going full fucking Rambo on the guy, what he did is he helped the cops at that point set up the arrest. Apparently, like, it's just super easy. Uh, you know, if, it, if it's super chill, the cops down there will be like, yeah, all right, we'll do something. Uh, yeah, right. but, like, if they, but if they have to do any actual legwork, like, the cops weren't going to do a year's worth of investigating that Eduardo did. Just weren't going to do it. The murderer was finally captured, and Eduardo got his revenge. I don't know what he's doing now. As far as I know, he's still alive and still doing well. I hope he's doing well. I hope, uh, you know, that it's terrible. And I hope that uh, I hope Eduardo was able to find peace with that. And I hope he's doing well these days. All right. Now we're heading to Germany. 1980. A lot of this shit happens in the 80s. You're going to see a lot of 70s, 80s stuff going on. A woman named Marianne Backmeyer. Now, Marianne had a daughter named Anna. And Anna was only seven years old. And Anna was sexually assaulted and murdered by a 35-year-old butcher named Klaus Grabowski. Never trust a Klaus. You cannot trust a Klaus. Now, while Klaus did admit to the murder, during the trial, Klaus continuously blamed Anna for the murder, saying that she was trying to extort money from her. Remember, Anna is seven. Seven years old. She is seven. She was raped and murdered by someone, and this sick piece of shit continues to fucking just say it was Anna's fault continues to gaslight the entire situation and say that it was Anna's fault, that she was fucking sexually assaulted and murdered. Also, the excuse is absolute horseshit. Who the fuck, what What seven-year-old even begins to know how to extort money from an entire ass adult? Like, it just seems like the most ridiculously conceived excuse ever. Like, you know, if if you're going to fucking murder a seven-year-old, at least have the balls to fucking just like stand by it, I guess. Like, but don't sit there and be like, no, 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 no. And a fucking, the seven year old was trying to extort money from me. Like, I really want to know how. Like, how was this seven year old trying to extort money from you, bro? Now, for Marianne, losing your daughter is one thing, and especially in such a brutal way. It has to be one of the most devastating experiences that a human being can have. And I really feel for Marianne. I think Marianne is an absolute hero here, but then you add to it, that the man that took her away, the man that took her away from you is taking the stand at the trial and blaming your daughter, the murder victim for her being dead. What Marianne does next is some of the most mama bear shit that I've ever heard on March 6, 1981 during the trial. Marianne sneaks a gun into the courtroom now at one point during the trial she jumps up pulls the gun out and fucking shoots him seven times in the back of the head seven shots seven years and you know, that Anna was alive maybe not intentional but it is very poetic I think it's very poetic what happened there the way that the way that played out. I got to wonder if she'd been practicing because like I imagine it was quick, like, pow, 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 you know what I mean? Like she had to have rattled like the shots off quick, right? Like seven shots like that and seven headshots. is pretty fucking impressive unless she managed to get like right up on him, like right up to him and pull the trigger as many times as she could before she was stopped. I can't imagine she just like you know from the back of the courtroom started fucking shooting. She would have hit somebody else, and and I didn't read anything about her having hit anybody else. Now, of course, Marianne was arrested. Of course, I mean she she did murder a guy. <laughs> she was sentenced to six years, but only served three. In my opinion, she should have gotten a medal. Honestly, the fact that she made it through some of the trial anyway to even hear is bullshit. I feel like she should be given. She should have been given a medal. Now, sadly, Marianne died of cancer in 1996, but. She did get her revenge. All right, so we've covered some everyday people that have been put in situations they weren't expecting and how they dealt with it. Now let's take a look at some groups. Let's take a look at some organizations that dally in the vigilante realm. We're going south of the border again, this time to El Salvador, an organization called Sambre Negra. Sambre Negra has been, on, has been active on and off since at least 1989, possibly even before. They operate as sort of a paramilitary group, and they do is form fucking death squads whose intent is to hunt down criminals. Now, they're said to be mostly made up of ex-cops and ex-military, hence their training and strong tactical response presence. Now, the government of El Salvador has continued to claim that Sombre Negra is not under their control or influence, and they operate as a rogue element. Bit of a trigger warning here. If you got a weak stomach, you might not want to stick around, maybe skip ahead a little bit but you do not want to get on sombre negra's bad side. Now they basically operate with an approach that matches or sometimes even exceeds the brutality of the gangs and the cartels. Very eye for an eye style. Like, okay. Is it just the fucking heat down there or something that makes everything so intense? Like everyone is intense when it like in, in crime and apparently law enforcement. It is just fucking intensity down there, man. Like, like, Everything in the crime world south of the border just seems so fucking over the top. Like Scarface was tame by comparison to the real thing. So when they capture gang or cartel members, what they do, their MO is to hold them hostage, blindfold them, and then tie their hands behind their backs. Now think about every like interrogation and torture scene you've ever seen in a movie, in every movie. Then the torture would begin, which would be hours at a time. And they would start removing body parts. Oftentimes they remove tongues, genitals, hands, teeth, pretty much everything. I read somewhere they, they would remove rectums. How the fu- I don't even know how the fuck you do that. Like, I'm assuming you just fucking take a fucking knife and like kind of cut around the asshole and just fucking pull the asshole. I don't fucking know. I never done that shit. When they felt that their victim had taken enough carnage, when they felt that when they had taken it far enough, they would do the tiras de gracia or the shots of grace. Think like the coup de gras from uh, Kill Bill. You know, that I could perform a coup de gras right now. You know, the final fucking shot. What they would do, their MO with this part, would be they would at point blank range point a machine gun at the base of the skull and just fucking open fire. Now, it didn't stop there because what they would do is they would they they like to use their victims as as messages for other criminals and other cartel members. On the bodies, they would write messages like El idiota sufria una muerta lenta. Or, this idiot suffered a slow death. I don't fucking speak Spanish, so if I fuck that up, I'm sorry. Any any of my Spanish-speaking listeners? I did my best there. (laughs) Several times they've stated they do what they do because they do not believe that the police can or will do what's necessary to keep crime in check. And that... They're waging a campaign of social cleansing against the gangs. Pretty fucking intense, dude. Now, they are particularly keen on hunting down MS-13 gang members, as well as their rivals, the 18th Street Gang. Uh, They've got an ongoing war that's managed to even cross borders at this point, with some activity taking place in Los Angeles, where the MS-13 have a large presence. So they're literally going back and forth, like Mexico, El Salvador, fucking L.A., all over the place with this fucking ongoing war they got going on. Now, there have been instances of both sides infiltrating each other's ranks and trying to sabotage each other in their ongoing war. So that's an ongoing thing. You know, MS-13, they're not going anywhere. MS-13 are, you know, they're they're a very prevalent gang now. So, you know, this is one of those things where, like, you know, that war is going to continue to rage until who knows when, you know, probably decades, if not longer. Okay, I feel like with that. That's a little bit brutal. There's a little bit of that was a, that was a, that was pretty intense. I feel like we need a little bit of a palate cleanser here. So let's take a break and let's take a phone call. Weird Wide, you are on the air. Hello, S- sir? On my sir, Damn, my you do? You have Mamu slušajme. Dobro. Sir. Sir čet govorim? Ja znam da ti na moj Hamdo. Sam pucaš već tu radli je Bemmy Mamu bitch koji je sada. Ta je tu što radi što Tai lady, tai Marsovac tu. Oni išto puca meteora, jebem mu, mamu žinau kad jis buvo tu, ir žinau kad jis vienas iš što puca meteora na moje. Jebem i mamai Wojciech Wojduvani. Ša bem va mamu. All right, well that was Hamdo calling again. Love when Hamdo calls. Now on to the next group. I felt like we couldn't do this episode without mentioning the guardian angels. A lot of people, especially in New York, know who the guardian angels are. It's where they started. Uh, they were founded in 1979 by Curtis Sliwa 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 uh, Sliwa S L I W A Sliwa. Uh, the guardian angels is a nonprofit volunteer organization that was originally created to kind of counter counterbalance the ever growing violence in the New York subway system as like kind of a protection situation. You know, just basically like do gooders out doing good. Fucking love it. I love it. And you know, I think it's awesome. The timing is kind of hilarious cuz like, you know, when I think of like violence on the, you know, in the 1970s, like gang violence in the 70s and shit, especially in the New York subway system, I go right to the Warriors. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you Like, maybe, like, they saw the Warriors and were like, we could fucking take those fuckers out. Like, we could... we if, if, if the Guardian Angels were there, we could totally have stopped the Warriors. Nobody stops the Warriors. You can't stop the Warriors. If you saw the end of the movie, the fucking Gramercy riffs were like, the Warriors are good. Real good. It swan's all the best. Fuck yeah. Fucking love the Warriors. If you haven't seen the Warriors, if you have no idea what I'm fucking referencing here do yourself a favor and see the fucking 70s classic film the warriors it's about a gang it's about it's basically about like over-the-top gang life in new york and like gangs small little gangs of dudes and they have a meeting with all the gangs in gramercy uh in gramercy park where this one guy is like like we outnumber the fucking cops if we stop fighting we're gonna fucking take we could take over. We could run this fucking city. You know, we 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 got the streets and somebody fucking kills them because it's a bunch of gang members, <clears throat> but they blame it on the warriors. So that you know they have to fight their way, the warriors have to fight their way from Gramercy Park back to the back to fucking Coney Island with every gang in the city hunting them down. It's fucking awesome. It's like seriously one of my favorite movies. It's actually the first movie that I remember seeing. Back to the Guardian Angels. I got a little sidetrack there. Now the Angels are known for their red berets and their red jackets so they you know they have like you know they got a little bit of uniform look going they got a little you know definitely again warriors vibe like cuz every every gang in the warriors definitely I feel like they were very inspired by the warriors I can't get off of that like they they have their red berets and their red jackets and I fucking love it you know cuz like every gang in the warriors they had matching outfits fucking awesome and they did face a good amount of controversy when they first formed uh New York mayor at the time Ed Koch, did oppose the group um, But he eventually came around, you know, after after they, they I mean, like, it's one of those things where like, you know, like when, when they something like that first starts out, it's like, I don't know, man, like, what do what, what are you guys doing? Like, you know, so but he eventually came around when, you know, they really proved themselves only time can prove, you know, that they're OK. Now, per their rules, per the Guardians Angels rules, they are forbidden from carrying weapons so that, you know, they're not out there trying to fucking just hunt down murder, like hunt down people violently. Uh, They they have uh and they and to. To join the organization, they can't have any recent or serious criminal records, no affiliation with any gang, criminal organization, or hate group. To volunteer to join their ranks and patrol with them, you have to be at least sixteen years old. They do have like youth programs, though, like you know before you know younger than sixteen, but they don't actually do any patrolling. To be patrolling, you have to be sixteen years old or older. I'm actually surprised it's not eighteen. To be perfectly honest, like from a liability perspective, it seems like eighteen would be the the. The bottom of that, but yeah, guardian angels are trained in first aid, uh, first aid slash CPR, uh, conflict resolution, law, basic martial arts. Now, aside from just patrolling the subway system and stopping any violent crime and doing citizens arrests and you know things like that, they also do a lot of educational and volunteer programs. You know, they volunteer in classrooms and with teachers. They do it like, you know, self-defense lessons. They even have like a cybersecurity program, like the called the Cyber Angels, where they like basically since 1995 have taught people, you know, how to be safe online. Basically, these are just like really good guys. Like they just do gooders doing good. Fucking love it. You know, now, while beginning in New York, that's where it started. uh, They do they do kind of a franchise style program when expanding chapters into other other areas they they have chapters all over in pretty much every major city in the US, you know, Philadelphia, DC, LA, Miami, all over the place. But they're actually at this point, they're global. Like they're all over the world at this point. Um, not everyone, not all of them do like patrolling and all that, but you know, some do like a lot of the educational stuff. Like it's at this point, at this point, they're more like a symbol, you know, like they're 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 very symbolic, and so they're global do-gooders. I fucking love it. I think it's cool. Now, of course, while they are basically like, you know, squeaky clean good guys, they are not without controversy. Uh, When first starting out, they actually set up fake rescues in New York subway system in order to gain publicity. Sliwa did come come out in like 1992 and apologize for the stunts. But it was still, you know, it was like it it was a little bit like, we all do it. I personally don't even think it's such a bad thing. You know, as a fledgling organization, when you're first starting out and no one knows who the fuck you are. Um, You know, they were legitimately out to do good, but they just weren't well known. They just didn't have a like a known presence. So I actually think it was kind of a smart move. They were doing guerrilla marketing. I think it's smart. But of course, it eroded some trust it is what it is. And then there was an incident in 2021 where they were seen harassing and attacking protesters during a protest. Now, while, of course, that's not good and did raise some questions about the group, you know, some even called them a uh, police sanctioned gang. And called for their dismount. They called for their, you know, re- dissolution or whatever. You know, they called for them to be fucking, put, you know, put a stop to Me- the members of the group that were that did perpetrate the attack on the protesters. They were expelled from the organization. So it does seem like that was an isolated incident where a couple of bad apples got into the fucking mix, you know, and then they basically, you know, they took care of it. They were like, you know, those guys are gone. We're sorry. Hmm. All right. Now that we've covered the most legitimate. Now that we've covered the most, you know, normal as just normal as we're going to fucking get for this situation, we're going to get into some of the weirder, some of the more fun, some of the ones I've really been excited to go over on this episode. We're going to go into the people that literally put on costumes and went out and fought crime. A lot like Blank Man. Remember Blank Man? Like it, like we're we're now talking. We're on to the real superhero side of this whole thing. And one of the earliest examples of a real life superhero is a guy from California named Richard Allen Pesta alias Captain Sticky I I don't understand Captain Sticky apparently comes from his love for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches I just don't understand why he went with Captain Sticky The 70s were a weird time man it was it was a it was a good time for music it was a you know interesting time for politics but my god was it a weird fucking time like Captain Sticky. Now, Captain Sticky would drive around the Sticky Mobile and uh, he'd be clad in a blue jumpsuit and a gold cape uh, and gold boots. And he would, uh, you know, he campaigned, he did a lot of protesting. I th- I'm not sure if he actually fought any crime, but he like campaigned against abuses in nursing homes, uh, supplied information to the authorities on health insurance frauds, uh, and advocated for consumer rights. At one point, he even testified before the Federal Trade Commission in 1978 and Congress in 1979 while wearing his fucking sticky suit or whatever. What the fuck was it like, man? Like you just you just know, like all these like late 70s politicians, all these fucking old fat white guys watching this motherfucker who actually looks like my uncle Steve, like he he looks like hauntingly like my uncle Steve. Just watching this dude just talk about fucking superhero shit in front of actual Congress, Congress and fucking like political people. It's we live in a really strange world, dude. Now, he was actually arrested in 1986 when uh, the house uh, when he rented his house to a film crew to shoot pornography. I don't really understand why uh why that was illegal like i don't i mean i feel like like porn is legal especially in california like that's where porn comes from is california and florida like why i don't understand why he was arrested for that but he was but still captain sticky remains a uh a mainstay in the in the uh, superhero re- in the real life superhero realm um, he actually did at one point have negotiations with Marvel to have a comic made about his exploits uh, he there's there's a picture of him and and, and uh, Stan Lee in the 70s a young Stan Lee so you know there may have actually been a situation at one point where we could have had Captain Sticky as a fucking MCU entry honestly as weird as as big as that as big as MCU is. There still might be like there might literally still be a cat. Like I'm making a prediction now. At one point, we're going to see a Captain Sticky TV show, at least. All right. Now we're going to now we're going to Milford, Ohio. Uh, even Ohio has superheroes. This guy named Shadow Hair Hair, like the fucking rabbit. Okay? I don't know if, if his secret identity is out or not, but Shadow Hair patrols Cincinnati from about 2005 to about 2010 wearing a handmade black suit with a stylized hair on the front rabbit. You know what I mean? Uh, Along with a cape and mask, no capes. Why you got to do capes? Like, like don't do capes. Like, did did nobody see the incredible What year did the incredibles come out? Like, like don't do capes. I don't understand. Like I get captain sticky having a cape because capes were all, you know, it's just a a total thing back then, but you don't need a cape. I don't know if I was a superhero. I don't know if I'd do a cape. Maybe I would. I don't know. I'm fucking over the top. Maybe I would do a cape, but, uh, he was, uh, Apparently skilled in Shorin Ryu martial arts, uh, which I think is like Okinawan style martial arts. I think it's basically the shit that uh, Mr. Miyagi would do. He'd also uh, do some mixed martial arts, Carried mace, a taser and handcuffs, of course, was one point injured, uh, got a dislocated shoulder while he was trying to assist a woman from being robbed. Uh, he would go to a lot of Cincinnati public events, uh, especially ones he sus- suspected would turn violent, which I think is absolutely hilarious. Like this guy would literally just hang out at like big events, just kind of hoping for something to go down. Just like this city's eating itself alive. The seedy underbelly of Cincinnati. It's eating itself alive. Now, he was also part of a organization called the Allegiance of Heroes, which was a group of masked crime fighters, uh, you know, that included other ones, uh, Ecliptico, Wall Creeper, Master Legend. Uh, he patrolled Cincinnati uh, with, you know, a few other members of the Allegiance and they would distribute business cards, uh, which I just can you imagine like just a couple of fucking superhero motherfuckers, underground superhero dudes just showing up and giving you a fucking business card. Like, what, what, what am I going to do with this? He also worked with another uh, real-life superhero named Mr. Extreme in San Diego, who, according to Shadow Hair, uh, the two attempted to identify and locate a rapist that was rampant. So that's Shadow Hair. Now, this one I couldn't find a lot of uh, information on. This guy, uh, Captain Oyster. Why is it always Captain? I don't understand the Captain thing. Captain Oyster, whose real name is apparently Liam Davenport. So he's well-known. He's a, he, The masks him come off. Now he would patrol Queens, New York, looking for late-night crimes to solve through <laughs> intimidation and intellectual discourse. Now I love the idea of intellectual discourse. Can you just can you imagine? Like, can you imagine like you're you're a criminal, right? And you're you're in Queens, you're a criminal, and you're you're committing a crime, and some fucking dude comes out of nowhere, fucking costume motherfucker, and calls himself Captain Oyster. And instead of like beating the shit out of you, he just kind of like, he kind of like, like gives you like a look, he glares at you and he's like, you know, kind of, kind of like, like, like making it seem like he's going to kick your ass at any moment. But then he starts like fucking throwing riddles at you or starts playing jeopardy with you. Like, I don't even know what I'd say to that. And the final one that we're going to look at the final set of masked heroes that we're going to look at is an organization called the rain city superhero movement. I got a little obsessed with these guys, so they were formed by uh, in Seattle by a guy named Phoenix Jones. Phoenix Jones is his alter ego. His real name is uh, Benjamin Fodor. This dude is fucking awesome. So fucking Phoenix, Phoenix Jones. So this guy, he wears a black and gold like costume, got the mask over it and everything. Now, he's a fucking mixed martial artist who, who became Phoenix Jones, initially wearing just a ski mask uh, to intervene in a public assault. Later added the full costume and the whole pseudonym and all that. He was active from 2011 to 2014. He was the leader of the Rain City superhero movement. Now, Phoenix Jones has stated that he decided that, you know, after uh, after a few incidents happened, he uh, decide, you know, decided the police weren't doing enough. You know, again, like the city's eating itself. So he decided to take take matters into his own fucking hands. Went out there with a bulletproof vest, would wear have a stun baton, fucking pepper spray, tear gra- tear gas, hand handcuffs and a first aid kit you know so he's out there they're out there doing shit now he eventually got the whole movement together which you know the rain city superhero movement now they worked as a crime fighting brigade and as like kind of you know like activists to try to get crime to you know lower but like several witnesses have just have like reported seeing them intervene in crimes on several occasions like The police are not happy about it. They were not happy about it. The police were like, "Eh, eh, let's not do this. Could you imagine just like, just, just, just imagine like you're, you're coming home from work, right? You know, you're in, you're in traffic, you had a rough day, maybe it's raining, you know? And then, I mean, of course it's raining. It's fucking Seattle. It's always raining. And then like you see a bunch of dudes dressed up in costumes come out and just start kicking the shit out of like these criminals. Like you see these guys start something and then you see all the this 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 group of actual superheroes just show up and just beat the hell out of people. Like that would be the biggest mind fuck ever. Now while Phoenix Jones was the uh, face of the group and he was the you know leader and all that, there were several other members to the group, including Red Dragon, Midnight Jack, Omega, Karma, Skyman, El Caballero El Cabr- Caballero 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 I don't fucking know Caballero and then there was also Phoenix Jones wife Purple Rain now Purple Rain and that's uh R-E-I-G-N rain so like rain like a reigning, like reigning monarch Purple Rain is cool as shit now Purple Rain did wear the costume she did you know kind of costume up at her own thing but like her whole thing was like she would work as like kind of intelligence and intel, like, you know, kind of support for the group. But her whole thing was advocacy because she had actually survived, uh, you know, domestic violence and was like trying to f- like create a platform for stopping domestic violence. So, like, you know, she became like Purple Rain was more of a she was more of a, a symbol, you know, for the group, like like basically like something to rally behind. And they were actually married. Her and Phoenix Jones were actually married. And one thing I love about Purple Rain is I can't help but think that she kind of was inspired by uh, the like, because, you know, you know, they all talk about like superhero movies. You know, they were big fans of it. And I can't help but think that like Purple Rain was a little bit inspired by the uh, 80s Batman movie, the Tim Burton Batman, because Prince did the soundtrack for it. Right. And obviously, you know, purple rain, purple rain, obviously a Prince song. I can't help but think that's where, like, the name comes from. I I don't have that verified. Like, you know, you know, when she hit them with purple rain, you know, everybody in the room was like, oh, shit, I bet fucking bet. Now, of course, the group disbanded in uh, 2014. Uh, Like I said, the police were not happy about it. They did not. They were they were not about these fucking people. And the latest news on Phoenix Jones, aside from uh, splitting with uh, Purple Rain, was uh, in January 2020. Jones was actually arrested for allegedly selling MDMA to an undercover cop. So he also uh, was apparently he and his accomplice that uh, were arrested uh, were in possession of four grams of cocaine. So it would appear that a superhero has become a villain. So. And, you know, there's plenty of other uh, there's plenty of other uh, real life superheroes and different things like that, uh, that, you know, over the years, over the various cities and locations that have been active. But I feel like the Rain City superhero movement is one of the most interesting. And um, that's where we stand on that. We, We live in a world where there actually have been superheroes. And with superhero lore being such a massive thing these days. Who knows? We might end up with more superheroes. So. I guess we just have to wait and see and see if we get more heroes. Only time will tell. Well, thanks for getting weird with me. Don't forget to tune in next week for another installment of Strangeness. Uh, If you want to, uh, you know, if you like what you're hearing give the show a review on uh, apple uh, give us a five star review If you want you can check me out on uh, instagram and tiktok as do weirdo uh hit me up on dms if you want uh if you got any ideas for uh something you like to see maybe you know uh you know, maybe maybe you know somebody that decided to go blank man on this whole thing and uh you know, just want to tell me about it maybe you just want to say hi maybe you want to tell me i'm an asshole whatever you want to fucking tell me that's cool you can also email me at weirdwidepodcast at gmail.com uh don't forget to tune in next week for more strangeness And until then, keep it weird.